I'll ask you now to turn to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. So first of all, I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. This is the oracle that, that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you of the violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, says the Lord, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if, told, if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and laugh at rulers. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Now go to chapter 3 and verses 17 to 19. And this again is Habakkuk speaking. So Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 17 to 19. And he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stores. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And he dedicates it to the choir master with stringed instruments to be 
Son. All right, let's just pray. Lord, we are approaching a book of yours, a man who prophesied, and we want to learn much. In the short time, may you open the eyes of our understanding that we may be strengthened and encouraged to know that you are God. And even though we may not understand everything that is happening, we know that you are the one who is directing everything. So help us to know you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the Old Testament prophets served a very important purpose in the economy of God with his people Israel because the prophets received the word of God from God himself. It was then their task to turn around to the people and tell them what God has said, what God requires of them. And usually they would prefix their announcements or their teaching or their prophesying with the words, this is what God says. So they had authority, they had this 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 um, calling, and they were very, very important people of God. Just quickly, that does not mean that the people would receive what the prophet said. And tragically, they would often stone the prophets. That reflects the fact that they weren't rebelling against the prophet, they were rebelling against God who sent the prophet. The prophet Habakkuk, however, is a little bit different because at no time does he address the nation of Judah and that's who he's ministering to. He doesn't say to the people of Judah, this is what God says and then tells them. Rather, this is a dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord. And it's quite interesting because it really reflects a confusion in the prophet's mind about what is happening. And we're going to see, we're going to follow the journey, if you like, of Habakkuk, who is struggling to understand what God is doing in a time that is very chaotic. Because the time that Habakkuk is ministering in is a time of rebellion, of constant uh, opposition to God, and against his law, and against his word, and against his prophets. If you know your Bible, you would understand this because Habakkuk was actually a contemporary or prophesied about the time of Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah, we all know him to be, we refer to him as the weeping prophet. Why was he called the weeping prophet? Because he said himself that he weeps rivers of tears because the people of God were not listening to God. Even though Jeremiah called the people to come back to God, they resisted. They were hard-hearted. They were stiff-necked. They turned the shoulder. They, they would not listen to God, and they rebelled against him. And God said that he's going to judge them. He's going to judge his people. And that's the message that, that Habakkuk has. And this causes confusion to Habakkuk. Because he doesn't understand how God, who, as you, as we read, who is holy, of pure eyes, than to behold iniquity and can't look on evil, how could God do this? So in following Habakkuk's uh, journey of discovery, if you like, 
I want you to apply it to yourself and see if you can relate to what the prophet is experiencing. What is it that helps him to go from confusion at the beginning in chapter 1 when he's talking openly to God and as we'll see where he questions God's integrity almost. Why aren't you saving us? Why are you allowing this evil? And then when God answers him and, and he's, he, can't, he can't comprehend how God, God could do that, he, he can't accept that God is going to send a wicked, ungodly nations such as the Chaldeans to chastise his own people. And yet, as we saw at the end of the book, at the end of chapter 3, which is the end of, uh, of Habakkuk's prophecy, he goes from confusion to being able to rejoice in the Lord. And that little word, yet, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. You see, that's very important. That's a very crucial word because you can't, you can't have it on its own. You have to take into account what has just been said and what has gone on before to be able to understand that Habakkuk has come to a point of understanding something that is very important. Because what we'll see is his, his problem wasn't solved. It's not as if God said, okay, Habakkuk, I'll take away all your concern. Uh, everything will be all right. You can go home, have your dinner with your wife, and everything will be all right. Nothing, in effect, changes. And I want to be able to apply that to our own situation because like me, there are times when you don't understand what God is doing. You may be even like Habakkuk, because I'm like Habakkuk, and we dare to presume to tell God or to question, why aren't you doing it this way? Or why doesn't God do this? Or why does God allow that to happen? Now, this is a perennial problem for the believer, because we come back to this Time and time and time again. And that should not su surprise you. Neither are we repeating ourselves because there are some things that do not change. God does not change. Man does not change. Sin still has its damning effect. And so whatever generation, whatever nation, whatever culture, whatever language... You have the situation where you have God who is holy, where you have man that is sinful, where you have God extending his grace to mankind, giving him his word, calling them back to, to repent and to come back to God, where you see that man generally says, no, we want to do it our way. And where you see that God, because he's holy and because he can't allow sin, will deal with it. You see, does it remind you what we've been looking at in Genesis and the fall and the entry of sin into the world? Of course it does. That's what we have throughout the whole of the Word of God. That's why the Apostle Paul could say to the Corinthians, When I came to you, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, because that is the message of hope that delivers us from the endless round of sin, of judgment, of of um, uh, hopelessness, because God has made a provision. So what we read in, in um, Habakkuk, even though it happened 2,700 years ago, 
really we can apply it to, uh, to our situation today. Have you noticed that the, the discussion in the media and the announcements by the Prime Minister have gone away more from the isolation, the restrictions, the measures taken to stop the spread of the virus and so on. We rejoice that we are able to have freedom and hopefully everything will, will be able to go back to normal soon. But the emphasis has shifted away from that to the economy and how there's high unemployment. And so people are starting to wonder what's going to happen. And we think about or we wonder about everything from whether people continue to work from home uh, and what will, how will we be able to get our economy back? Will prices increase? Will we have jobs? Will there be job security and so on? And so we start to worry about the economy. That is exactly what the situation was for Habakkuk. And when he says, when he talks about such things as the fig tree and the, 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 the grape, the, the herds, the stalls and so on, he's actually talking about the economy of his country collapsing. What would it be like if you were not able to get your pension anymore because our economy collapses? What would it be like if you lost your high-paying job and then you join then the ranks of the unemployed and there's millions of them? What would you do if you were forced to line up for food tickets because there was no food in the shops? What would you do if the result of this was that there was civil unrest? What would you do as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? How would your faith be? Because that is exactly the situation that Habakkuk and believers like him faced at that time. What, com what complicated it for them is the reality that it was God who was chastising these people for the sins that they were committed and the hardness of their heart that they would not repent and obey him. And that's what threw Habakkuk into a spin. So we're going to see that as much as it happened to Habakkuk, we should ask ourselves some questions. Does this situation sound familiar? Do you find yourself wondering why does God allow certain things? Or do you think to yourself, why doesn't God do this or that? I was sharing with my wife just this week how I often would think to myself, you know, I wish that President Trump wouldn't say this or do, do this this way or would be a little bit different. But I, I, I realized very quickly what I'm trying to do is put my hope in a man. If he was a nicer person, if he did things better, if he was more cooperative, if he, if he uh, allowed others to be able to do what they're, they're able to do, then, then he would be... Uh, more liked than perhaps then he could get re-elected. And I think, and I had to say to myself in, in my spirit, hey, stop. What are, what are you doing, John? You're putting your hope in a man. And you're saying God can only work if President Trump does the right thing. Because what I am afraid of, and maybe you're the same, is that, that the West 
Western culture may suffer because of all this and that the enemies may arise. That's exactly what happened in Habakkuk's day because he was anticipating these bitter and hasty people who cared not for kings or rulers or anyone who who killed people, who took prisoners, who tore down fortresses, and it was the Lord that was sending them. And so you can understand his confusion. So what was his situation? Well, it should not surprise you to know that the people in Judah were lawless, they were violent, and they were disregarding of God and his law. So Habakkuk is surprised that God hasn't done anything about it yet. And that's why in chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, How long shall I cry for help? Are you tempted sometimes to stop praying because it seems like God's just not answering? And he says, How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or that I cry to you regarding the violence and you will not save. So why won't you save us? And then he says in verse 4, why do you allow wrong to triumph? He says, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and so justice goes forth perverted. Now the thing is, he asks these questions, but God answers him. And you know, that's why we have this we have this dialogue. But the answer that God gives to to uh, to Habakkuk, as I've stated, is not the one that he wanted. In in verse five, God answers him, and notice what he says: "Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not even believe if I told you, because I am raising the Chaldeans." You know, whatever is happening in the world today. As Christians, even though we don't understand, remember Habakkuk's main concern is trying to understand not God as such, although that is involved in this. He's not trying to get some answers, although that also is involved in this in this book. What Habakkuk is trying to do is understand what God is doing. Maybe even more accurately, what God isn't doing. And so it is with us. And we can think, why? And try to understand, how can God be working out his will in this situation? So, um, Habakkuk, he's put in a spin. He can't accept. He continues to find it difficult to believe that this is what God is doing. And he says to the Lord in verse 13, But Lord, you are of purer eyes than to see evil. And you can't look at wrong. In other words, he's saying, How can you, if you want to to judge Judah and the wickedness that is happening there, okay, I can understand that. But how can you take a group of people that is even more wicked as the instrument to judge your people who are your people. Remember, in a sense, he's saying, Lord, you called Abraham and we are the descendants of Abraham. We are your people. You've said that. You said that you've loved us with an everlasting love. 
You called us not because we were many and mighty, but because you set your love upon us. And now you're going to send these people? How can wickedness deal with wickedness? Because in the end, wickedness triumphs. That's the, that's the reasoning that is behind Habakkuk's thought life in, in this matter. But of course, we have the word of God and we can look at many passages, but I want you to turn, to get an understanding of this, turn with me to Isaiah and chapter 55, just a few books back, Isaiah 55, and this is an answer to Habakkuk's question, how can you do that? It's also an answer to your question about situations. And it doesn't have to be global. It doesn't have to be about COVID. It can be about a lot of things, just in your own personal life, trials and tribulations and situations and unanswered prayers and continued uh, antagonism and, and so on. So in Isaiah 55 and beginning in verse 6, this is what the Lord says through his prophet Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him to return to the Lord. Notice, notice there, what, is it, what are we to do? We can return to the Lord. He'll receive us, but he says, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to remember, we are, we are the creatures. God is the creator. He formed us. And it's an amazing thing that we as human beings who get everything that we have, even though we don't acknowledge God, we, we presume to be able to think that we can reach to that level of deity in understanding. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and yet we're dealing with God who knows the end from the beginning because he ordains it. And as much as you may struggle with the sovereignty of God, as much as you may struggle with the, the rule of God, the providence of God, the fact of the matter is you are the one really that needs to Keep silent, and we're going to see that. To listen, and we're going to see that. To learn, and we're going to see that. And then to worship. Because this God is a God that we can know, and by God's grace we rejoice in those who do know him. But are we able to be able to understand everything about him? If eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared, then how can we presume to, to, to say, I don't know why God doesn't do this. 
It is a little bit arrogant, isn't it? All right. So the Lord says, what I'm going to do, you're not even going to believe, but this is what I'm going to do. And we're, we're, we're seeing, you know, that Habakkuk has got to learn some things just as we do. So what is what is Habakkuk's response? Well, to his credit, he he's going to wait on God. Look with me in chapter 2 and verse 1. And he says there, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he says, basically, I'm going to be like a sentry, a guard. I'm going to get on the tower so I can get a good, clear view of everything. And so I can see right into the distance, as it were, and the moment there's some movement, I can see it and I can report it. So that's a metaphor. What he's saying is, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to have ears that are open. I'm going to have a heart that's tuned. And the moment God says something to me, I'm going to be able to hear it because I want to know. See, there's nothing wrong with questioning God as long as you do it reverently because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He's compassionate towards us. He knows we don't know everything. So when you, as a believer, go to God, you ask him, you say, I don't understand, Lord. Be prepared to wait. And and by God's grace, in one way or another, he will give you the answer that you need. So to his credit, he was he was willing he was willing to wait. Then as God answered him, and remember three chapters, we're not going to look at every single verse. This is just an overview of this thing. There's a lot of deep theological truths here, a lot of doctrine. And if you have any questions about this, please, please contact me. But as we see God's response, we see that Habakkuk accepts. He doesn't keep fighting, doesn't keep arguing, doesn't keep presuming. See, we are all a little bit like like Habakkuk in the sense that we love the Lord, we we study his word, we read his word, we attend services, we, we listen to the messages, we get an understanding of God, we get a... a uh, uh, we get that knowledge of God and we start to get into the into the situation where we think we know what God is going to do. We may even quote scripture and think, well, this is what God did here in this situation. So this is what he's going to do. Of course he's going to do this because he's God. But we really we need to be careful with, with that because God never sins. God never makes any mistakes. So whatever he does, he does it well. He does it righteously. And we can never say, okay, this is where God is because this is my understanding of him and we compartmentalize him. And we need to be like Habakkuk and realize, you know what, I've got to back away from that. And so as God responds to him, he helps the prophet to understand that he's actually working out his will and it's a long-term will. Look with me in verse 3 of chapter 2. The Lord says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time, still to happen. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. 
If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. You and I, we, we become impatient. But we must remember God has his plan. It's a long-term plan. We may believe that we are in the end times. God knows for certainty. We may think that the COVID is a, is a judgment of God. God knows whether it is or not. But we can't say, okay, it's going to happen. We're in the last days. Here it comes. It's going to come. Surely it will come. And it won't delay, the Lord says. But you need to be able to wait and see what it is that he is going to do. In verse 4, we're told what it is we are to do. You see, the, the ungodly may continue to be puffed up and arrogant, presumptuous. They may think that they have the, the way that, what, their way in everything. But look what the Lord says in verse 4 of chapter 2. Behold, his soul is puffed up, the wicked that is. It is not upright within him, within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And that's a very important passage because remember this is the Old Testament. And we, some, we, we wrongly think that oh, in the Old Testament they had to obey the law in order to be blessed. No, they live by faith just as much as we are to live by faith. And that, that verse there, the just, or in, in some versions it says the just shall live by faith, that was actually taken by the Apostle Paul. And he repeated it twice in Romans and in Galatians. Because there is an unbroken method that God employs. He saves his people by grace. They are to believe by faith. And then the child of God shows that he's a believing God by living a life of faith. And it's repeated again in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, just before the chapter on faith, Hebrews 11. So this, this passage here, you, Habakkuk, you, believer in Sydney or wherever you live in 2020, you are to live by faith. Do you understand everything? No. Does that mean you can discard it because you don't understand anything? Or Sorry, everything? No. If I read a scientific journal, I, I, I don't understand a thing about it, especially if it's electronics. Maybe, maybe, maybe if it's a little bit about biology or something like that. But if I don't understand it, you know what I do? I put it down and I forget about it. Does that mean that electronics is wrong or the science of electronics or whatever science branch of science? Of course not. You see, so because you, Christian, don't understand what God is doing, does that mean that God is making a mistake? Of course not. The just shall live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't see everything what God is doing, but he's doing it, and you need to believe it. All right, the next thing that we see that Habakkuk learns is that despite what the world may do, God will triumph. Look with me in verse 14 of chapter 2. He says there, there's coming a time when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There'll be no more error, no more cults, no more false religions, no more other deities. 
there'll only be the Lord, there'll only be the knowledge of the Lord all over the world. So be encouraged by that. And finally, we see that God's rule is absolute. You know, the Chaldeans are going to come and they're going to make the tragic mistake that they think it's their power and they're going to praise themselves and they are going to praise their gods, plural. And God is going to deal with them for that as well. Why? Because there is only one God, the Lord. The Lord God, Yahweh, God, three in one, one in three, manifested by Jesus Christ so that we can see God when he came to earth and we'll see him again one day. And the fact of the matter is God's rule is absolute. No one can fight him and win. And we see that at the last verse of chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Okay, sorry, let me interrupt there. Read with me verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. In other words, to an idol. And to a, a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. See, God's rule is there are no other gods. He is the only one. He's seated in his temple. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's unperturbed. He's not moved by the, by the, the futile, feeble efforts of, of Satan and of, of people to rebel against him. He, he, set, he has set his son on his holy hill. What he says will happen, and we need to take that, and we need to remind ourselves, and we need to be able to be, to be strong. So what, does, what effect does that have on Habakkuk? Well, a good effect. He, he, in the end, understands that God will deal with everybody in righteousness, he knows that the Chaldeans will still come and destroy everything, but he knows that it's under the, the, the direction of God for a purpose. He's no longer worried about what God is doing or trying to understand what God is doing. He is now settled. And that's why he's able to say at the end, as we read earlier on, though the fig tree does not blossom, no fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Let me just remind you what I said before. This is, in effect, the total and complete collapse of the economy. It's not as if you've got to wait in line and buy your food eventually because everyone's panic buying and so you go, you go through the... No, there's nothing. There is absolutely nothing. And so he's able to say, even though all that happens, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And it's passages like this that remind us of other passages in the Bible that call us to have a trust in God. Think about these with me. You know them. In Job 13 and verse 15, Job says, Though he, that is God, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. 
In Psalm 23, 4, we read, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Has that become so familiar to you that the power of that assurance is lost on you? Are you listening to the news instead of listening to the Spirit of God? What about Philippians 4, 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. You see, that's the word we focus on, isn't it? Always. Do you rejoice in the Lord always? I don't, because I take my eyes off the Lord, just like Habakkuk at one point did, but he had them back focused, and that's what we do. We come back to the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord always, and Paul says, and again I say rejoice. And finally, Psalm 34 and verse 1, one of my favorite psalms, I will bless the Lord at all times. At all times. Can I say that honestly? I bless the Lord at all times. Can I go on and say his praise shall continually be in my mouth? Yet those passages are in the word of God and many like that. And what we need to be able to do is remember, if you've got problems, if you, if you don't know what's happening, you don't need to understand what God is doing or how he's doing it. Go to him and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand. But I know you are in control. So I need you to help me. You have a plan. You're working it out. In the end, it's not that I need to understand what you're doing or why things are the way they are, but to know you. And that's what is important. And remember, as I quoted before from... from um, Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. May our great God grant to all of us that we rejoice in him, whatever our circumstances are, because we can know that God is working all things together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. May God bless us. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your love and patience towards us. You know our hearts. You know our fears. You know that we often are distracted and place a lot of time and importance and emphasis on things that are fleeting and passing. Or that we make great things out of um, small problems and, oh, Lord, how we need to be able to come back and sit and hear you say that you are the one who is in control and you're working everything out. So, Lord, increase our faith and help us to know that we have a God who is with us always and will never leave us. We bless you. We thank you. And we humble ourselves before you and praise you in Christ's precious name. Amen. 